I knew it. You're always <laughs> so merciful and so gracious. It's like you can't help yourself. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 98. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We are in week eight of our cross-training series. We've gone through belief. We've gone through trust. We've gone through loyalty. And now on today's episode, we're going to talk about sharing our faith with others. And I think you've got a soapbox you want to get on for a little bit. You know me so well. (laughs) (laughs) There's a quote that's often misattributed to Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. (laughs) And it's kind of a favorite internet quote that you see sometimes in Christian circles. And I can appreciate the underlying sentiment that our deeds are speaking to people even when we're not. But I really find it frustrating. (laughs) I find it an incorrect, inaccurate statement. And I worry that it enables people to think that silently going about your business without ever mentioning the Lord and explaining the gospel is going to convert people. (laughs) It's not sometimes necessary to use words to preach the gospel. It is always necessary for people to hear and to understand and to believe those freeing, wonderful truths that you and I have come to believe and been Mm -hmm. saved by. This is the good news of Jesus, and we have to, at some point, speak it. Maybe someone sees our lives, sees the hope within us, and they ask about that hope. But at some point, in order to be saved, people need to know about Jesus. And so, okay, now that I've gotten that off my chest, my (laughs) soapbox over, I'll step down because like you say, we are focusing on this truth that a true faith is a spoken faith. We have to confess Christ. We have to declare our allegiance to him and we have to speak the truth that has saved us so that others can have that same opportunity. That is the faith that Christ calls us to. It's kind of like standing on the side of the road, watching somebody about to get hit by a car and not speaking up. It's like, oh, they'll see by my good example of standing over here on the sidewalk about what they need to do. It's like sometimes you have to get out there and actually talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you know what is going to save someone's life, you have a moral imperative. It's it's the Spider-Man principle, <laughs> right? As my, Uncle my ben. son likes to quote, yeah, Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. If you know what you can do to help someone, then you really need to do it. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be a preacher or a teacher or amazing at evangelism. It's a, it's a struggle for a lot of us sometimes, but We have to be willing to publicly own the Lord, confess him, and to share that that saving living water that Jesus spoke about in a story that we might talk about. (laughs) That's a good segue into our first segment, which is like the teacher. And so as we always do on these episodes, we go back to Jesus and we find some way that he shows us an example of sharing his faith. And what a great example here in John chapter 4, verses 4 through 42. Basically, the whole chapter is really focused on Jesus in this interaction with this Samaritan woman at the well. There's a lot to pull out of this, and we're not going to focus on all the nitty-gritty details here, but the story basically goes that Jesus is thirsty, and he's been on a long trip, 
And so he stops here at this well, and there's a Samaritan woman, and she's just shocked that this Jewish man would even be speaking to a Samaritan woman, let alone asking her for something. And he tells her, give me a drink. And so then this launches into a big, long discussion about living water, and Jesus takes the conversation deeper and deeper, and then he tells her to call her husband. And she basically says, look, I don't have a husband. Aha, Jesus knows. Yes, you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands and the one that you're currently with is not actually your husband. And so she realizes something about this man that he knows way more than he's letting on and he must be a prophet. And then finally, the disciples show up with lunch as she's leaving and they are shocked by the interaction that they've just seen, how this woman would be speaking to Jesus alone, and they're not really sure what to make of it. So Jesus pivots to talking with them about his mission and the harvest for which he's most concerned. And meanwhile, the woman has gone into town, got everyone she knows, and brings them all back. And for two days after that, Jesus spends this time talking to them, teaching them. We don't know what they talked about or what he taught, but they believed after seeing him and after hearing his words. Just an uh, amazing account. And so what do you get from this, thinking about sharing our faith that really stands out at you? I went through and actually counted the number of times that Jesus spoke and then the woman spoke. And Jesus spoke (laughs) and the woman spoke. It's a lot. And it's a lot. I counted 13 turns of the conversation here. And that's my big insight from this. I think there's a lot to take from it. But a conversation turns. You know, if you look at the meaning of the word, I'm kind of a, a nerd that way. And and that's the idea. There's a converting, right? And dialogue has that same meaning. There's a dialogos. It's it's words going through and and there, there's like a, something flowing between people in this conversation. Definitely not and one-sided. It's not. It's, Jesus isn't preaching a one-sided sermon here. He has some long, profound paragraphs. He goes into some deep truths. But he started where she was. He asked her for a drink. And then he talks about some of the things that she's interested in, some of the questions that she has. He asks her different things. And if I'm going to imitate Christ speaking to people about the truth, I think that's a really good place to start is to recognize that it's going to go better if I have a conversation rather than saying, you sit there and I'm going to stand over you and tell you with my finger wagging. And not that people actually do this, but you know what I'm saying. It's hyperbolic, but it's pretty accurate. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, sometimes because, and, and I think even that all comes from a good place because the soapbox I just got off of, we know that people need to know that truth and we want to tell them. So just like, let me download this into your brain, dude. You sit there. I'm going to plug in and give you the things you need to know. But it's more delicate than that. It takes people being able to hear it. And Jesus knows that. And so Jesus, instead of talking about being born again, like he did in the previous chapter to Nicodemus, here he talks about water. And he has this conversation about where you should worship, because that's a question that a Samaritan had. And that's the biggest thing I notice in this conversation is just this back and forth of Jesus, where he so often has whole chapter red letter sermons. That's not what he does. He sits down 
he and a Samaritan woman, so much that's scandalous in that, and they talk, and they talk about amazing things. I think the important thing that you're pulling out is that Jesus listens. And not only does he listen, but he deeply listens enough to the point that he is answering her questions. I don't know if you've ever watched, like, political news or you've tuned into, like, C-SPAN or something. Sure. And you just see some politician being asked a direct question, and they don't even answer it. Like, they don't even act like they heard the question, and they just start talking about the thing they already wanted to talk about anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's totally not what Jesus does here. He's listening to her, and like you say, the conversation goes back and forth. And what I pulled out of this is that a small starter of the conversation leads to bigger ones. I think that's Mm. important for me, because sharing our faith like you said, may not always look like this download of our beliefs into somebody's brain at once. I think oftentimes it starts by opening the door in a small way with a simple question or a conversation, and then it goes into something deeper. He starts it out here with just a cup of water, and from that he launches into so many other deep things that are important for her to hear, and he targets this. He pulls the thread so that he can get to the point that he wants to make eventually. But he doesn't just blow past her questions if they weren't on point or on target or didn't fit the message he already wanted to talk about. He did answer them, and they were all leading to this final goal, like a snowball that just continues to grow until it finally became convincing enough to her. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to pull out is... It's kind of like, what is the ball your eye should stay on? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many things with evangelism that should I focus on outcome? That doesn't seem to work if my eyes are completely intent on (laughs) going to dip them in the water, going to dip them in the water. At the end of this, you know, that this idea that I am going to control their response because you can't control people's response. Or should I focus on the tactics or should I focus on the data? And it's not that those things aren't important, but I think a good place to keep your eye that we can kind of see from from this conversation is on the person. Right. And you need to know what they need to understand and the changes that need to happen. But you also have to know where they are. And what's happening with them and just pay attention to that. So I think that's a good place. If you have the context of the change that God wants to make in mind, then just really investing in kind of living with where they are and pointing out, as we've often said, helping them to find that next step. And maybe they're going to help you to find something also if you're fully there and invested in the conversation. All right. So let's get into our second segment. And that is Here's the Story. Here's the story. So we're going to talk about a character here that is totally the opposite of what Jesus just demonstrated in that great story. (laughs) And if you think about a character in biblical history who really didn't like the job of evangelism, you'd have to just land on Jonah. And so we're going to talk about Jonah here in chapter 1 through 4 of that book in the Old Testament. And so let's kind of introduce the book what is this story about and what happens in chapter one? Yeah, I, I like the way he said that. The opposite. Paul says, I believe, therefore I speak. 
Jonah says, I believe, therefore I refuse to speak. I'm not I'm saying a word here. to those people. <laughs> <laughs> and I think to set the context, I think patriotism is a surprising but helpful place to start. I grew up in a family of patriots where we were passionate about talking about the Constitution and American history and all that's just part of my identity is like Sam the Eagle. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just I love eagles and I love flags and I love all that stuff. And patriotism and faith can get tangled up in some weird ways sometimes in America. And if that's true for Americans, imagine how true it would be for someone like Jonah, whose nation was God's chosen people. (laughs) And so where I rooted for Rocky Balboa, draped in an American flag, fighting against the big, bad Russian bully, Dolph Lundgren, Ivan Draco. (laughs) Jonah could easily have thought that the enemies of his people, their version of Cold War Soviet Union, were the enemies of God. Mm -hmm. I might have thought as an eight-year-old cheering Rocky on that those were the bad guys, but how much more might Jonah as a grown-up prophet think that, though not completely accurate because God wants to show them mercy, as we see, spoiler alert, (laughs) but God is also sending a message of judgment on them because they aren't good people. And this kind of nationalistic, patriotic spirit that Jonah brings, that he loves his people and he hates the enemies of his people, I think gives some context. They were this pagan superpower that seemed to pose the greatest existential threat to Israel is the Assyrians, the Ninevites. And in Jonah's mind, they were the axis of evil. They were the bad guys. And so God tells Jonah to preach to Nineveh and Jonah runs. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't lazy. No, he responded to God vigorously by jumping into action, doing the exact opposite of what God says. God says, arise and go to Nineveh, chapter one, verse two. And so Jonah did. He got up and went. But Jonah rose to flee, it says in chapter one, verse three. So he did rise up. He just went exactly the opposite direction. (laughs) He tried to run from his mission. He tried to run, it says a couple times in this chapter, from the presence of the Lord. He was told to go east. He heads west. And Tarshish is basically the exact opposite side of the world from where he was supposed to go. And so that's what he does. He hears what God wants. God has spoken. Jonah believes it. And he refuses to speak his word. So he gets on this boat to Tarshish and everything is getting hurled here at the beginning of the story. (laughs) There's this word that just keeps getting repeated. The Lord hurls a great wind in chapter one, verse four. The sailors hurl the cargo off the ship as the storms start growing around them and they cry out to their gods. And then they find Jonah sleeping below deck and... They can't believe it. What are you doing, man? And he tells them about God and he's acknowledging they need to hurl him overboard to quiet the sea. And this all this hurling. <laughs> so, much this hurling. Whole, so much hurling. So much hurling. It all gives this whole first act kind of a seasickness. Uh-huh. Like we're getting tossed and turned and hurled and sloshed around in the boat with Jonah. And everything gets flip-flopped in the wash as these pagan mariners 
become God-fearing believers. They make vows to God. They pray to God. They try desperately to row back to shore and save Jonah. Even after Jonah tells them, you need to throw me overboard, they say no, and they don't want to do it. And they're trying with all their might to save this guy that put them in danger. But ultimately, they do give up and they hurl him into the sea in chapter 1, verse 15. And then it says, God appoints a fish to swallow Jonah up. God appoints several things in this book. But the first thing here, he's appointing a chosen fish, a great (laughs) fish, to swallow up his prophet. So he's in the fish for three days. And that's where chapter two starts out. Basically, he's got a lot of time to think. (laughs) reconsider his choices and his life. And so (laughs) chapter two really is all about his prayer to God. Forget that he just tried to run away from God. Now, okay, I get it. He says in chapter two, verse four, I am driven away from your sight. Wait a second. I ran away from your sight, but now he's saying (laughs) I'm driven. Okay, forget that. I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So he recognizes this whole thing as a punishment from God rather than some freak accident. I mean, the whole time he knows what's going on. And so he realizes that idol worshipers are cast out of God's presence, and now he's being cast out of God's presence. So I think this is a wake-up call for him. And (laughs) he eventually decides to go back to God and keep his promises, keep his commitments. And so God speaks to the fish at the end of this prayer and eventually vomits him out onto the beach. Again, more hurling. I don't know. He did a lot of hurling. <laughs> Lots here. of hurling. And I like where you started. You had a lot of time to think. I mean, imagine it's like the ultimate timeout. Yeah. Yeah. You go and sit inside this gross, I bet it smelled like fish in there. Probably. <laughs> inside there. And he does think about it. And God in chapter three, repeats his command for Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah actually now begins walking through this big city of Nineveh, preaching what I would call the most effective eight-word sermon in history. (laughs) (laughs) He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown and the whole city repents. So that warning was the thrust of the sermon, but the people clearly also recognize their need to repent before the true God. And even the king repents. He's fasting in sackcloth and ashes. He's saying they need to turn from their violence and their wickedness. And in an extreme measure, even the animals are commanded to fast. And so God sees this true turn as people are changing their minds, as people are changing their hearts and their lives because of this warning. And so God turns as well. He turns and changes from what he planned to do. Imagine how effective Jonah is in his preaching. I mean, obviously God knew they were going to repent, which is why he sent Jonah in the first place. But imagine being such an effective preacher that you can convert an entire city of unbelievers. I mean, Jonah has to just be patting himself on the back Super proud of this, like, oh, look what I've done. But no, (laughs) chapter four, if you leave Jonah four out of this story, you walk away so impressed. But Jonah four comes along and the whole story just turns on its head and he starts pouting and basically telling God, like, see, I knew this would happen. (laughs) And he tells God, (laughs) I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. As if that were a bad thing. 
Like, yeah. he's using that in almost a pejorative way against God. Like, I knew you would forgive them. He's not happy about this. He wants to die, in fact, now. And his enemies have been spared. And now he's just going to go sit under a tree and pout. But God isn't done with this whole situation. He strikes the tree with sickness and it dies. And now the only pleasure that Jonah had is gone. And so God comes back and confronts him. And he's more concerned with the tree than he is with the 120,000 people who were just spared. Oh, and by the way, all the animals. But who were spared from disaster. And you just get this sense that Jonah is, is such a small man. And it leads me to kind of ask the question, like, where are my priorities? Where are our priorities in the way that we deal with people? I mean, he lived in a divided culture. He lived in this, like you were talking about, a nationalistic culture where they were the enemies. It's us against them. And, and we can definitely relate to that, I think, in a lot of ways. But God doesn't view people that way. Sure, there are enemies of God, absolutely. But these were souls who could be spared. And so if it's our aim to be like God and to show that kind of love and grace and mercy, to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, I think that's what our goal should be, to be like God and to, to view the possibilities in people rather than just being their enemies and seeing no value in them. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys live in Phoenix still, and I've lived in Phoenix in the summertime. And <laughs> imagine the lengths someone would go to if they didn't have cooling and air conditioning in Phoenix. It would be gross. <laughs> it would be gross. You're like, I, I got to have something. I'm calling. I'm trying to figure this out. It's, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like if you didn't have heat right now in the 12 inches of snow we have around us sure. here in Indiana. But that's kind of the comparison that God is making. You liked this fern that gave you cooling and, and made you comfortable so much and you mourned and you wept and you you had your priorities were very much on your own comfort as we will do so much for our own comfort. But will we walk next door and speak up the God, invite someone to our next Bible study we're having in our home or just find a way to care like God cares for these thousands and thousands of people that, as he says, don't know their left hand from their right. And I, I'm with you. I think that one of the great messages of this is that God's mercy is still good news, yeah. regardless of what Jonah thought, whether he thought it was good news or not. It's never good, like you said, when we turn God's good character against him as an accusation. <laughs> <laughs> So he's basically quoting the way God described himself to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34 and all of these wonderful attributes, the graciousness and the mercy and the slow to anger. And he's saying, I knew it. You're always <laughs> so merciful and so gracious. It's like you can't help yourself. And now you've gone and done it again, saving this wicked people that I don't like at all. You know, they're bad. Why are you saving them? And <laughs> he's like, see? This is how God always is. He does this every time. <laughs> and we have to see that that is who God always is. He always is good. And we have to learn to see that his mercy and his grace is good news. So like when we see people doing things we don't like, people who are, we would say, bad people, 
Do we want to welcome them into their spot in God's presence? Or do we want to avoid them or to attack them? And Jonah's sermon was one of judgment, of course, and that's important. That's an important part of our message. But the heart of this book is the heart of God. It's his mercy toward anyone who will turn to him. And and that's good news to us just as much as it was to Nineveh. All right, so let's close this thing out with our third segment, and that is Through the Week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. So every week, we focus on five challenges to help keep us motivated. So let's talk about the things this week that help us focus on sharing our faith with others. The first one is a reading challenge, and that's to read John chapter 4, verses 4 through 42, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Acts 17, 22 to 31, 2 Corinthians 4, 13 to 18, and 1 Peter 3, verses 14 to 17. So I want to focus on that last one here because we talked about John 4 at the beginning of the episode, but 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 is this conversation that Peter's having with his audience there, and it kind of just centers around our tactic. Like, what is our tactic? And Peter mentions that we should always be ready to make a defense of our hope with gentleness and respect and a good conscience. And that is something that is, again, the opposite of what we see in Jonah, very much what we see in Jesus, though. Jesus approaches this woman at the well and so many others throughout his ministry with gentleness, respect, and a good conscience. It's so easy, I think, to lash out against people's sins and be very accusational and act without some kind of thoughtfulness that we too have been there before ourselves, before we came to know the Lord. But it's this do unto others kind of mentality here and thinking about how we would want somebody to approach us when they were bringing us something we needed to hear. And I think that's the the kind of gentleness, the kind of respect we would want. And we need to extend that to others in the same way. It's just a good reminder here that Peter gives his audience. So our reflect question this week is what baskets keep my light from shining in the darkness? And the question, of course, comes from Matthew 5, 14 to 16, where Jesus says, you don't hide light under a basket. You put it on a pedestal. Where do we put our canned lights or our track lighting? We put it on the ceiling, not under your bed or under your couch where the light will be blocked and hidden. It's just obvious. And so he's saying in the same way, if we're the light of the world, we need to let our life of faith and good deeds be seen. We're a city set on a hill. It's not for our glory, but it's for God's glory. We let these things be seen. And so I was thinking about this question, and I just noted four baskets to own up to that can sometimes be detrimental to my light. I think we talked recently about the hermit lifestyle. We did indeed. (laughs) And I have some patterns of comfortable reclusion, I think, that can (laughs) be a basket where I just have to constantly push myself to be out there, especially outside of people I know, and to make new connections and to build the little sparks of a connection that I've made to kind of fan those flames a little bit and build those connections. Because it's hard to to really get into a conversation like the woman at the well conversation without engaging with people and starting to learn things about them. And so I also noted that I can get 
preoccupied with methods, as <laughs> we talked about earlier, tactics. Yeah. I have sometimes a fear of being misunderstood. And sometimes I have the illusion that the answer exists outside my current life and relationships. Like, oh, I need to get involved in this new thing. I need to learn this new approach. I need to find this new whatever. There's something out there that's going to be the silver bullet that is going to convert lots of people instead of just being really invested in the people around me, the opportunities around me and speaking and and sharing my life, praying with people who maybe don't know the Lord, asking how I can be of service, just trying to be a light in those ways, and then consistently inviting them and sharing with them things about the Lord and seeing if they might be willing to to sit down and study. You mean there's no silver bullet to evangelism? It's got to be out there, but I just <laughs> haven't found it yet. It's coming, though. <laughs> no, nope, I don't think there is. <laughs> well, that's good to know. So our third challenge this week is a request challenge, and that is to pray to God, O oh Lord, I call upon your name, embolden me to speak of your deeds to everyone I meet. And that's based on Psalm 105, verse 1. And it's a prayer that just reminds me of that song, The World's Bible. If you're familiar with that song, we oftentimes are going to be the only influence that somebody may run into in their life about what truth is and about who God is. And if we're not brave enough to get out there and shout the Lord's name into the world, then who else is going to be? Again, I think this is something that we need courage to do, which is why it's helpful to pray to God to embolden me and give me the courage to go out there and tell of God's deeds to everyone I know and everyone I meet. And there's always open doors there and just asking for God to show us those open doors, make them visible to us, help us to open our eyes to see them. I think this prayer hopefully will be helpful in helping us see those opportunities. Yeah, yeah, I really love this prayer. It goes very well with the prayer in Acts 4 that the people of the early church prayed, grant that your servants might speak the name boldly. And I love that they didn't pray that the threat would stop, but that they wouldn't shut up because <laughs> of the threat. That yeah. was their prayer. And that's, that's, that's great. So then our respond challenge is a way to take action. And the respond challenge this week is to find a way to mention the Lord to at least two people today. And first Peter two verses nine to 10 gives for me, an inspiringly simple description of our mission. It says that we've become God's special priests to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a really beautiful turn of phrase, but it's also not as scary to proclaim God's excellencies than it is to try to win a debate or something, you know? Sure. We can proclaim his excellencies with our deeds, as we talked about, but certainly we also need to use words, see earlier soapbox. <laughs> and, and that's not that hard to say something to people proclaiming his excellencies. Right. Ultimately, we want to convert more people to God, but sometimes it starts with something as little as just consistently telling people 
how good God is, what he's done for us. You don't have to change someone's mind to declare God's love and his goodness. And so there's lots of ways to mention him, but I just wanted to note that that's one way that you can mention the Lord to a couple people today. Just saying something like, I just want you to know that I thanked God for you today. I'm so grateful he brought you into my life. Check. <laughs> now you've brought up the Lord, you've made a connection, and maybe there's a conversation that comes from it. Yeah. It's those small doors, it's those small starter conversations, and it can be real simple. And I think when we stop taking it as this giant activity we're about to undertake and just take it a step at a time, I think that helps out a lot in reducing our fear and anxiety about talking to others. So the last challenge here is our reach out challenge. And this one is to have a conversation with somebody about this topic of sharing our faith. And so the question that we want you to ask others, we'll ask others ourselves, what have you used as a launch pad for spiritual discussions? I think we can learn a lot from each other about things that have worked well for others, things that have maybe not worked so well. So Ryan, what's worked well for you as a launch pad for spiritual discussions? Well, it's funny, when you're a preacher, it's really easy. Because <laughs> Hand him a business card. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. As soon as people know something about what you do as a job, you almost have to slow down the transition mm -hmm. instead of speed it up because people have these misconceptions, these preconceptions about what you're thinking about them. And, and I want them to feel comfortable being real as we talk about spiritual things. Sure. And so you're kind of trying to connect and let those conversations go there and lead them to spiritual places. But it is a really easy out. And, and it's probably true for other people. If people know that every Sunday, every Wednesday, every whatever Friday night Bible study, you're constantly doing these things, they probably already know something about your faith. And so it may, maybe makes it easier to get into those conversations. But I found that current uncertainties, the politics, the virus, the all the stuff that's going on in the world, I think have made people more reflective. And so I've found myself, I think, a little easier into those conversations than usual, into maybe a deeper version of those conversations where people are thoughtfully considering what they want their lives to be and maybe bigger questions than we are in the normal sort of rat race. And then I'll mention a very specific thing that at least three times recently has come up, which is newish parents, people, maybe they're, they have a two-year-old or a three-year-old or they're just, they're, they're pregnant, they're about to have a baby. I've found that there's this readiness to think about your choices, your lifestyle, maybe whether you want your kids to have roots in faith or relationships in a church. Whenever people are at, it's one of those life crossroads, right, where people are just stopping the way they've always done things and saying, is this the way I want to always do things? And maybe thinking about their own life, their own faith, their own mortality a little bit. And so I've had, like I say, several conversations, the person that cuts my hair, I've got a study tomorrow actually from a, a guy that is at that place in his life. I've just had a bunch of those situations. So that's something to be aware of. And maybe there's a conversation starter, a way to launch into that if you have someone like that in your life. 
yeah, kind of stand at the crossroads and wait for them to come to you. And as they're <laughs> yeah. making their decision, I think that could be a great opportunity to start a conversation. So my answer to this question, and I may have told this story on the podcast before, so forgive me if I have, but there was a moment that kind of sticks out in my mind from high school where there was this big school dance that was coming up and all my friends, they were pairing off seeing who they'd go to the dance with. And I finally decided, you know, I'm not comfortable going. I'm not going to go. And people were asking why. And so I told them that it wasn't something I was comfortable doing, wasn't something that I thought would be the best place for me to be. And so simple enough, right? I walked away from it and everyone just seemed to accept that. Great. But there was one girl who actually went back and talked to her parents about what I had said and the things that I had talked to her about. And her parents and her, they were having this conversation and they talked to me and they reached out to me and started asking me questions about it. And one thing led to another and snowballed into they're now members at Monta Vista. I'm not patting myself on the back for that, but all, all I'm saying is that I never even thought that I would lead somebody to become part of our church by talking about a decision that I had made. I think that just applies to so many things in life. When you take a stand for something or when you let your convictions be made known to other people, you never know where it's going to lead you. And sometimes those moments where you let your light shine are going to start out small or seem insignificant, but maybe somebody's going to see that and wonder about you, wonder about why you believe what you believe, and maybe they're going to be the kind of people who are looking for something more. And maybe they are at a crossroads, and maybe you've found them at that time. You can have something deeper and some relationship develop there. And so you never know how somebody's going to react. And so just living your life and doing the kinds of things that you know you need to and being willing to share your faith with people, I think is always a good thing and could lead you into some positive interactions. That's really cool. Yeah, what a great simple example that is simple but life-changing for a whole family. And if you're wondering, as a young person who's in high school, what influence can I have? Yeah, that's a great example of just just taking a stand of for what you you think you should do, being willing to speak openly about it and let the Lord do the work. Yeah, he's ultimately the one in control. I'll let him drive. (laughs) All right. So that's been our conversation about sharing our faith. Hopefully these things have been helpful for you. On our next episode, we're transitioning away from this first mark of the master, which is faith. And now we're going to get into dedication. So the next four episodes are all going to focus on dedication, four lessons that we can learn centered around truth, heart, action, and community that we've been doing here. And so next week, we're going to be talking about counting the cost. And really, it's about getting real about what's required of somebody to become a disciple of Jesus We've already touched on it a little bit in previous episodes, but next week we're going to spend the whole episode talking about the importance of counting the cost. Yeah, so we're going to become really bad salesmen again (laughs) for for the gospel. This is the other side of evangelism when you know the good reasons and now you need to know it's not going to be easy. Yeah, for sure. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode in your podcast player of choice or at BibleGeeks.fm slash 98. You can also get in touch with us 
reach out on the contact form on our website. We'd love to talk to you about what you want to hear on upcoming episodes. And oh, by the way, if you haven't shared the show with a friend or talked to them about this cross-training series, we would really love it if you would do that. We appreciate it so much. There's been a few people who have rated us on iTunes, and we're very grateful for you. Thanks so much for doing that. Thank you. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.